The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. The latest information and analysis of major events from around the world. You're listening to Compass with Jason Oborn on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Hello and welcome to the Global News Hour. Some of the stories that we're covering on today's show. Thousands take to the streets in Argentina to protest President Malay's radical changes to repair the broken economy. A fire at a General Motors EV plant causes more apprehension with lithium-ion battery-powered motor vehicles. And as Matthew Perry's death was attributed to ketamine use and separately bladder shrinkage, a doctor still calls for its supervised use in mental health treatment. And further details emerge about Jeffrey Epstein as the names of 170 associates are to be released on January the 1st. This is Compass with Jason Olborn. But first today, a gunman has shot dead 14 people and injured another 25 at a university in Prague. Officials say in the deadliest attack in Modern Czech history. Police say the 24-year-old gunman was also eliminated following the shooting at Charles University in the historic centre of the capital. University staff were told to barricade themselves in rooms during the attack. Prime Minister Peter Fiala said he had cancelled upcoming engagements in light of the tragic events. Dramatic footage later emerged on social media showing some people jumping to safety from one of the building ledges several storeys up and gunshots are also heard. At a briefing on Thursday evening, the country's police chief and the interior minister said the gunman had been a student at the faculty. They said he was from a village around 21 kilometres outside of Prague. The suspect's father had been found dead earlier on Thursday. The gunman's motives were not immediately known. Preliminary information suggested that no police officers were injured in the attack, the authorities had said. The police said they were also working on the theory that the gunman may have been responsible for the deaths of two people last week in a forest near Prague. Sergei Medvedev, a professor at the university, told the BBC he was in on one of the university's auditoriums when the shootings began. I was giving a lecture at the moment and at first didn't realise what had happened because there were some sounds. The students heard it better because I was so much more concentrated on giving my lecture. He said, then we understood that something big was happening. US tourist Hannah Malcote told the BBC that she and her family were on Jan Palak Square during the attack. A crowd of people were crossing the street when the first shot hit. I thought it was something like a firecracker or a car backfire until I heard the second shot and people started running. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen said that she was shocked by the senseless violence. Founded in 1347, Charles University is the oldest and largest university in the Czech Republic and one of the oldest such institutions in Europe. This is how our ABC News America reported the story, and you may want to pay attention to how the reporter introduces speculation as to the shooter's motive. Police in Prague just gave a press conference. Uh, he said that the gunman, as you rightly said, was a 24-year-old student at the Charles University. He entered the building around 3.30 p.m. local time, shooting and killing 15 people and injuring 25 others. We understand at least 11 of them were seriously wounded. Witnesses said that the gunman was walking through the corridors, shooting people inside the university building. Staff inside the classrooms were told to stay put, to use the furniture in the rooms and put, uh, put them 
them in front of the door, so essentially barricading themselves in. The rest of the university was evacuated, and you can see people running, uh, trying to run away to get away from the university, running across the iconic Charles Bridge. The police were on the scene quickly, eliminating the gunman in their words. That's what they said. Uh, they do believe that he acted alone, and at this point, they say there is no imminent danger. Where at this point, we don't have any more details on a possible motive, but what we do know, and again, this is coming from the head of police, they believe the shooter was inspired by similar mass shootings that have happened in other countries abroad. And I'm sure we'll get more information as the police investigate this incident, which has become the worst deadly shooting since its independence about 30 years ago, since the country's independence. The Irish government is taking legal action against the UK over a controversial law that halts new investigations into crimes committed during the decades-long conflict in Northern Ireland and potentially grants immunity to perpetrators. Irish Prime Minister Leo Varadkar announced the move on Wednesday, saying that the interstate case will be taken to the European Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg in France. The case concerns the controversial Northern Ireland Troubles Legacy and Reconciliation Act, which came into force in the UK in September. The legislation covers crimes committed during the violent conflict in Northern Ireland between 1966 and 1998, known as the Troubles. Under the law, all such cases will be investigated by the government-appointed Independent Commission for Reconciliation and Information Recovery instead of the police. Perpetrators can be granted immunity if they agree to give testimony. The Irish government has concerns that some provisions of the Act will shut down existing avenues to truth and justice for historic cases, including inquests, police investigations, police ombudsman investigations and civil actions, Deputy Prime Minister Michael Martin said Wednesday. He also stated that the legislation is opposed by many in Northern Ireland, especially the victims and families who will be most directly impacted. The British government removed the political option and left us only this legal avenue, Martin added, insisting that he had used every opportunity to get the UK to pause the legislation. British Secretary of State of Northern Ireland, Chris Heaton-Harris, said the UK government profoundly regrets Dublin's decision and called the legal case unnecessary. He insisted the Legacy Act is designed to enable more victims and survivors to obtain more information faster than can be achieved under current legacy mechanisms. The Troubles Legacy Act has been overwhelmingly rejected by a range of human rights groups, as well as victims of the Northern Ireland conflict. Amnesty International stated on Wednesday, the Troubles was a violent conflict in Northern Ireland between mostly Protestant Unionists who wanted to remain part of the UK and mostly Roman Catholic nationalists who wanted to reunite the state with the Republic of Ireland. The conflict featured multiple cases of British state collusion with terrorists and the imprisonment of innocent men, women and children at the hands of the UK justice system. More than 3,600 people were killed between 30,000 and 50,000 injured, according to various estimates. And the UK's backlog of dealing with refugee claims is at its highest this year. It's a hot political issue that's threatened to derail the government. The delays have had a devastating impact on families seeking asylum. Al Jazeera spoke to a Sudanese woman desperate to be reunited with her sons. This is Abir Nouri's home in flames after an attack by a government-backed militia in the city of Omdurman in Sudan. Abir knew she had to get her family to safety if they were to have any future at all. It's not safe for them. Nobody can look after them. Because even in the cities around Khartoum, we used to think we're safe, now aren't. People can possibly survive, but it's not safe anymore. 
It took almost four years for Abir's asylum claim to be processed in the UK. Eventually, two younger children were allowed to join her. But the long wait meant that one of her older boys turned 18 in the interim, becoming ineligible for family reunification. And Britain's Home Office has refused an appeal for compassion. It's a terrible feeling because they are living on the street. They have no home. They have lost everything. It's an unbelievable and indescribable feeling as a mum. Abir's story is one of many tens of thousands, people stuck in a grindingly slow asylum system that lawyers say is underfunded and under-resourced. The government's latest promise to reduce a historically high backlog of cases is, they say, only making things worse. The government sees its policies as vote-winning, like housing asylum seekers on a floating barge or plans to send them to Rwanda none of which offers much hope to Abir's family, her sons still searching for safety and suffering desperate consequences. Jonah Hull, Al Jazeera, Bristol. A 50-year-old man has been charged by Irish police with the attempted murder of three young children in a knife attack in Dublin last month. The incident sparked widespread rioting and looting by anti-immigration protesters in the Irish capital. Riyad Bushaika reported to be an Algerian national who has lived in Ireland for the past two decades, appeared before Dublin's district court on Thursday. Addressing the court, the arresting police officer, Detective Sergeant Padre Cleary, said that Bushaika responded to one of the charges by saying, I am a sick person. A five-year-old girl remains in the hospital in serious condition after the attack in Dublin's Parnell Square on November 23. Two other children have since been released from hospital. Daycare worker Leanne Flynn Keogh was also seriously injured in the attack. Uchaka made no comment to the other attempted murder charges against him. Cleary said he also faces a charge of assault causing harm. Legal counsel for the defendant said that his primary language is Arabic and an interpreter was provided by the court. The man was detained at the scene of last month's attack by a Brazilian delivery driver. His appearance in court on Thursday comes amid reports that he required significant medical attention following the attack. The court heard that the weapon involved in the incident was a 36 centimetre or 14 inch kitchen knife. His defence counsel requested that Bushaker's legal team would not be identified by the media to protect their safety. Late last month, Irish news website Gripped incorrectly identified the suspect in a report. Irish police subsequently deployed units to protect the innocent men from the possibility of a vigilante attack. Security at the court was also tightened ahead of Bushaker's appearance. The stabbing spree allegedly by, committed by Bushaker led to a wave of a social unrest in Dublin on the night of November 23, with many expressing anti-immigration sentiment. Numerous businesses around the city's main thoroughfare of O'Connell Street were looted by protesters. Several vehicles, including police cars and public transports and trams and buses, were set alight, with more than 40 people have since been arrested for involvement in the riots, with 30 of those already having appeared before the courts. And almost everybody in Gaza is facing crisis levels of hunger and rates of disease among children have skyrocketed, the World Health Organization said on Thursday. Amid the declining humanitarian situation, both Hamas and Israel have vowed to keep fighting. Around 93% of Gaza's 2.28 million people are facing crisis or worse levels of hunger, the WHO stated in a post to X. Citing a joint report compiled by the UN and other international bodies, the WHO warned that 17% of the Strip's residents face catastrophic levels of food insecurity, defined by the report of an 
imminent danger of starvation and death. Should Israel's military operation in Gaza and blockade of the Strip continue, the report predicts famine conditions by the end of February. On recent missions to the north of Gaza, whose staff say that every single person they spoke to in Gaza is hungry. The organisation said wherever they went, including hospitals and emergency wards, people asked for food. Malnutrition and the destruction of infrastructure has caused a proliferation of disease. The WHO stated over 100,000 cases of diarrhoea, 150,000 cases of upper respiratory infections have been recorded since mid-October, the organisation said, noting that the diarrhoea cases among children under five years old are now 25 times more common than before the conflict began. The people of Gaza, who have already suffered enough, now face death from starvation and disease that could be easily treated with a functioning health system. The WHO said this must stop. Food and other aid flow must be in greater amounts. The WHO reiterated its call for an immediate humanitarian cease. Fire. Meanwhile, Ishmael Haniyeh, the head of Hamas political bureau, arrived in Cairo this week for truce talks, although the militant leader reportedly rejected an Israeli offer to pause fighting in exchange for the release of around 40 captives. Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu said on Thursday that Israel will not stop the war until we achieve all of its goals completing the elimination of Hamas and releasing all of our hostages. He also called on the Palestinian militants to surrender or die. His comments came after Hamas reportedly did reject West Jerusalem's offer for the week-long humanitarian pause. We are fighting until victory. We will not stop the war until we achieve all of its goals, completing the elimination of Hamas and releasing all of our hostages, Netanyahu said in a video message posted on X. The choice I propose to Hamas is very simple, surrender or die, he added. All Hamas terrorists from the first to the last are dead men walking. He added that after eliminating Hamas, Israel will ensure that Gaza will no longer pose a threat and that whoever thinks we will stop is detached from reality. And more than 20 people have been killed and hundreds of others displaced by floods in central districts in the South Indian state of Tamil Nadu. The Met Department says unprecedented rain dumped more than 20 times the volume of water usually seen during this time of the year, bringing life to a standstill. Roaring walls of water, leaving a trail of destruction across parts of South India. The state government here blamed the chaos on what it called record rain, heavier than forecast showers and warnings which came a bit late. Local administrators say Tirunelveli and Tutikarin were the worst affected. Hundreds were stranded by rising floodwaters. Rescue teams worked hard to reach vulnerable victims like this pregnant woman and this young baby trapped by the floods. Cooked food and ration packs were being distributed to those trapped by the floods. The deluge occurred while the state was still recovering from the damage caused by Cyclone Michon, which lashed the coast earlier this month, killing at least 13 people. The floods are beginning to recede and residents are desperately hoping for a respite from more rain. Minel Fernandez, Al Jazeera. Rudy Giuliani filed for bankruptcy on Thursday after being ordered to pay more than $148 million to a mother-daughter duo of Georgia election workers whom he accused of manipulating ballots in the 2020 election. 
Giuliani's Chapter 11 petition filed in US Bankruptcy Court in New York lists debts up to $500 million and assets up to $10 million. This should give the former mayor some breathing room after being swamped with legal bills in multiple courtrooms. The filing should be a surprise to no one, said Heath Berger and Gary Fishoff, Giuliani's bankruptcy attorneys, in a statement reported by Bloomberg, adding that Chapter 11 protection allows Giuliani to appeal the case in Georgia. The bankruptcy filing was spurred by the December 15 verdict that found Giuliani must pay Ruby Freeman and her daughter, Wondrea Shea Moss, $148 million for harm to their reputations and other impacts, including lost wages and mental anguish. The lies Rudy Giuliani told me and my, about me and my mummy, Moss said in front of the courthouse after the verdict, have changed our lives. Giuliani's lawyer, Joseph Sibley Vi, told the court last week that an award of that scale would be the civil equivalent to the death penalty. As the lawsuits mount, Giuliani has been struggling financially and was forced to unload his apartment in Manhattan's Upper East Side for $6.5 million in July. In September, Giuliani was sued by the law firm representing him for $1.4 million in unpaid legal fees and finding an election worker who wouldn't choose to be abused in the media and pick up $148 million so that they never need to do that job again. A very strange uh, verdict altogether. Meanwhile, after the break, the European Union has forced to dump hundreds of millions of expired COVID vaccines. This is Compass on TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Patrick Henningsen. There's a dark cloud which is gathering over Ukraine. This has been an absolute disaster. In the last month alone, as I reported previously, Ukraine's lost 13,000 troops in October. So what does that mean? Well, you can guess that recruitment is probably down. So right now, the government in Kiev, the Zelensky government's doing forced conscription. Morale is at an all-time low. Uh, we've also seen conscientious objectors uh, who are taking to social media like Telegram, who reported uh, that they were just finished a six-month prison sentence uh, after refusing to go to the front line. Some of the forced conscripts rebelled, were imprisoned for six months, did a six-month sentence, and then the day before their release, they were put into a van and then sent to the front line. I kid you not. Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Take us back in time. And who was Mike Flynn? He was the national security advisor to the president. Why is it that they go after me so hard? Why me? Why does Barack Obama only talk about two people to the incoming president of the United States? When I was sentenced, the judge says, you have been convicted of lying to cover up for Donald Trump. To which I say, cover up what? Russian collusion? There was no Russian collusion to cover up. We see in today's current uh, scenario with President Joe Biden, who came in with high expectations that he has been viewed as divisive. And we're committed to advancing transgender equality in the classroom. The liberal media say, well, this is his love for his son, and yes, he's going to protect his son. But let me tell you, a lot of fathers love their sons, but their sons had to go to jail when they broke the law. At this moment, people see a lot of those telltale signs of a far left drift to the country. Whether you're talking about socialism, or you're talking about communism. Socialism is just a kinder cousin of communism. But the goal is the same, for the state to have control of every aspect of your life. We have multiple hearings on different agencies that have actually just gone rogue. They took fewer men in the takedown of El Chapo than they did to arrest me. And Comey went back to his organization and brought his other thugs together to basically give them the ground rules. Okay, here's how we're gonna 
here's what we're going to do. And give, now I need some ideas about how to execute this, basically this act of treason. I think we all know, James Comey, that you're a great storyteller because you made up the entire story about Crossfire Hurricane. So it's really fitting that a criminal like yourself wrote a crime novel. Do you remember me? Remember me from your book signing? It doesn't matter whether they're Republican or Democrat. People will sell their soul to obtain an ounce of political power in Washington, D.C. I don't even know that draining the swamp is the appropriate metaphor anymore after what we've seen these last four years. We need basically an exorcism in Washington, D.C. When, you know, Satan is tempting Jesus in the desert, I'll, I'll give you all the riches of the world. I'll give you everything. All you have to do is bow to me. That's what Barack Obama has done. That's what Jim Comey has done. That's what these bastards have done. The Fall of Deceit at SalemNow.com You're with Jason Oborn and Compass on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. At least 215 million expired doses of the mRNA shots have been destroyed by the European Union. This comes at a cost to the taxpayer of around 4 billion euro. It appears people are not interested in taking the boosters anymore, so countries have been forced to throw them away. The EU bought massive quantities of the brand new mRNA shots that never were tested for long-term side effects. In fact, they ordered a whopping 4.2 billion vaccine doses, enough for giving each citizen in the EU nine doses. Is this why they pushed so hard for people to get the boosters so that they could get rid of their surplus vaccines? Only 15 EU member countries disclosed their data and it shows that they have thrown away at least 0.7 doses per person on average. If we project this number to the EU as a whole, it would mean a whopping 312 million doses have been tossed out, equal to about 5.8 billion euro worth of taxpayer money down the drain. However, the real number is likely higher as Germany, which has already thrown away 83 million vaccine doses, said a few months ago that they had a stockpile of another 120 million doses that are expiring early next year. Looking at the data, we see that people really do not seem interested in taking any more vaccines. The propaganda seems to have failed. People simply don't want to get the shots in the same way as they did before. Poland and Hungary have refused to accept any more vaccines and are now being sued by Pfizer for not paying for millions and millions of doses. And in Romania, prosecutors are looking to take legal action against its former prime minister and health ministers. They say it's because they bought too many vaccines, which caused the state massive financial losses. And thousands of protesters have rallied in Argentina's capital against austerity measures announced by newly elected President Javier Malay. For the first time in years, protesters were met with resistance from police who were using cameras to record those who were trying to enter the city. There, were a heavy, there was a heavy police presence and the government threatened to cut welfare to anyone blocking major roads. Meanwhile, Argentina's new president continues in his economic restructure and dismantling of regulations. With more, we pick up Teresa Bowes reporting for Al Jazeera in Buenos Aires. The government is violating the right to protest in Argentina. They want to violate the judiciary and the legislative branches with a series of laws they want to pass. I am very worried about democratic freedoms in Argentina. The police controlled access to the capital and filmed people on buses and train stations who were trying to make it to the center of the city. There's lots of tension in the center of Buenos Aires with hundreds of police officers that have been deployed here. The government says that protesters are not allowed to cover their faces or to carry what could be considered a weapon, like a stick. They're also saying that protesters won't be allowed to block any roads, which has been a common practice until now. Despite this, demonstrators on foot managed to reach the Plaza de Mayo in front of the presidential palace. 
Argentina is in the middle of an economic crisis. Inflation was already very high when Javier Milei took office 10 days ago. But a 54% evaluation of the currency last week has made the situation even worse. Milei says only an orthodox economic plan will get Argentina out of the crisis. Muchas gracias. And that's why on Wednesday he announced a mega decree to reform thousands of laws on issues like labor, exports, state companies and land. The objective is to begin with the reconstruction of our country, give back freedom to our individuals and begin to dismantle the enormous quantity of regulations that have stopped and complicated economic growth in the country. This is only the first step. The government says the economic situation will start to improve in the next few months. People here are not convinced and vow to remain ready to fight back. General Motors was forced to temporarily shut down production of its electric vehicle factory in Detroit after a fire broke out on Tuesday afternoon, the D Detroit Free Press has reported. The fire has since been contained and GM resumed operations at Factory Zero on Wednesday. Authorities are still investigating what sparked the blaze. However, Detroit Fire Chief James Harris has already offered an early explanation implicating a familiar culprit for EV-related fires. It wound up being some lithium-ion batteries, Harris told the newspaper. He said a third alarm fire was called a classification used by fire departments indicating a serious blaze. All employees were safely evacuated as smoke spread throughout most of the factory and no one was hurt. Factory Zero, so named because it's GM's first dedicated EV assembly plant, is where the automaker builds its electric GMC Hummer SUV pickup and the electric Chevy Silverado pickup truck. Up until last month, the crew's origin was also assembled there, but its production was abruptly delayed after the Autonomous Vehicle Division became the subject of a federal investigation following reports of its robo-taxis endangering and striking civilians to coup de grace of a calamitous year. Whatever trouble its EVs are getting into on the road, GM claims that its vehicles were not at fault in this incident. The fire was not vehicle-related, occurred near a shipping dock area. A GM spokesman told Detroit Free Press, we are still, though, investigating the cause. It's unclear if the batteries described by Chief Harris were intended for use in the automaker's electric trucks. It's also undetermined whether the fire started with the batteries. If both are true, though, and EV batteries turn out to be the cause, then it would seem remiss to call the fire not vehicle related. And four states, Florida, Tennessee, North Carolina and Massachusetts, have decided to force voters with a single option for the Democratic primary, that being Joe Biden. The decision which effectively crowns Joe Biden as the Democratic nominee in those states without primary contest has incited allegations of disenfranchisement and questions about the Democratic process within the party called the Democrats. The Florida Democratic Executive Committee announced that in the upcoming primary elections, the ballot will only feature the name of Joe Biden, effectively excluding any potential challenges within the party. The inclusion of only Joe Biden's name by the Florida Democratic Party has led to a federal lawsuit spearheaded by Tampa attorney Michael Steinberg. The lawsuit claims a violation of constitutional rights due to the exclusion of other Democratic candidates, notably Minnesota Congressman Dean Phillips. Steinberg, asserting claims of due process and equal protection right violations, described the decision as arbitrary and capricious, calling for the courts to order the addition of Phillips' name to the ballot. Meanwhile, Tennessee and North Carolina have similarly placed only Biden's name on the ballot, with North Carolina offering no preference as an alternative option. 
And in Massachusetts, the singular listing of Biden echoes similar sentiments raised in other states. Marianne Williamson expressed strong disapproval following the Massachusetts Democratic primary's decision to submit only President Joe Biden's name for the state's Super Tuesday presidential primary ballot. The DNC is at it again. We discover the Massachusetts Democratic primary intends to include only Joe Biden as their primary candidate on the Massachusetts ballot, Williamson wrote. And coming up after the news headlines, the slump of Chinese real estate has had a huge flow-on effect in Malaysia. This is Compass on TNT Radio. TNT Radio News. News For TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. The Biden 2024 campaign has drawn a controversial parallel between former President Donald Trump and Nazi dictator Adolf Hitler. Karl Rove, a well-known political strategist, expressed his view that the Colorado Supreme Court's decision to remove former President Donald Trump from the state's ballot will ultimately work in Trump's favor. Canada's Immigration Minister Mark Miller has announced that people in the Gaza Strip with family ties to Canada will soon be eligible to apply for temporary visas. Don't miss a thing. Be sure to download the TNT Radio app from either the Apple App Store or Google Play so you can easily listen live to us anywhere, anytime. Available right now to download. Keeping you up to speed on TNT Radio. Welcome back. China's real estate troubles are being felt in Malaysia at a development once described as a paradise. Seven years after its launch, the $100 billion project known as Forest City is only 10% complete. Country Garden is one of China's largest property developers. Its financial woes are said to contribute to the poor performance of the enormous and ironically named Forest City in Malaysia. However, one stumbling block for the success of the development is local bias, which is not the focus of the Chinese company, reports Francis Loy for Al Jazeera. Built by developers as a dream paradise for all mankind, Forest City in Malaysia is the largest overseas development for China's troubled property giant, country garden. But more than seven years after its launch, only 10% of the project has been completed. At its sales gallery, more people were interested in looking at the project's scale model than purchasing a home. Aimed at Chinese buyers, demand has been sluggish, especially after China restricted capital outflows in 2017. Now, country garden's financial woes and the wider problems in the Chinese property sector have increased concerns about the future of Forest City, built as a joint venture with a local company. Developers are hoping the government's recent announcement of designating Forest City as a special financial zone will help draw in investors. So we are now currently uh, appointed our consultants to really look into what are the, uh, the benefit, especially on tax, how to lure people from, from other parts of the world to come in. Uh, to cherish or to bring back uh, glory to Forest City. Forest City also says it's reviewing its development plan. At the main retail area, many shops remain shuttered. Groceries and shops, there's not many choices here. It's a very small convenience store, so we have to drive really far out to get some groceries and stuff. The main attraction of Forest City for many is the low rent. Even then, supply outstrips demand. For business owners, Low foot traffic translates to slow business. Business, I would say, is better now because it's cold in China, so more people are here, but ordinarily, business isn't that good. Real estate experts say the marketing strategy has to change in order to revive the place. Any project where the majority are more than 40% foreigners is doomed for failure. Why? 
simply because they don't come here, they don't occupy here, they don't spend money here. So what must be changed in the future, or even from now on, is to attract the local people to come in. Whether that will happen is likely to be clouded by Country Garden's financial problems. If that was Forest City, I'd hate to see what City City looks like. Meanwhile, a grieving mother has told how her son died in agony after becoming addicted to ketamine. Rianne Rogers' bladder shrunk to the size of a marble after being hooked on the popular party drug. Urologists are reporting seeing an increasing number of young people dealing with ketamine bladder, which occurs from overuse. Sufferers can become completely incontinent with victims in their 20s forced to wear pads to go to work. Some frequently wet the bed while others kept bottles next to their beds to use throughout the night. Rian's mother, Claire, told how the 26-year-old was found dead in the shower of his university share house with a fatal dose of ketamine in his body while on the waiting list to have his bladder removed. Claire told the Times this drug is a killer. He's taking bladders from young children. Ketamine is best known as a horse anaesthetic with drug dealers using an emoji of a horse when advertising the substance online. It was discovered in 1962 and was used in casualty clearing stations in the Vietnam War, but its mind-altering effects have made it a popular party drug. It was not until the late 1980s and the arrival of rave culture that it really took off as a recreational drug. Users who take too much suffer a frightening experience called a K-hole, where mind and body appear to be separate. Claire, who is from Warwickshire in the UK's West Midlands, spent thousands of pounds sending her son to rehab, but he had already begun to take more ketamine to numb the pain of his bladder problems. He'd been a recreational user of the drug, but began taking it more frequently after becoming depressed in lockdown. Rian developed an ulcerated bladder, a common side effect of prolonged heavy ketamine use and was in intense pain. Scans showed his bladder capacity had shrunk from the regular 500 mils or a half litre to just 90 millilitres. But when his best friend died in a road accident while on drugs in 2018, Rian's usage escalated. Claire said he hardly drank and didn't do any other drugs, but ketamine became his tool to help him deal with his grief numbing his pain. The drug had a false reputation for being safe. Many youngsters believe it can't kill and are unaware of the possible fatal consequences. Meanwhile, ketamine was ruled as a contributing cause of death in actor Matthew Perry, but there are still calls for its benefit in treating mental health issues. 54-year-old actor Matthew Perry died from the acute effects of ketamine, according to an autopsy report released Friday. I think the way that the story's kind of reading right now, it, it, it's misleading. Dr. Abid Nazir with Hope Mark Health calls the headlines misleading because he says while ketamine can indeed be dangerous... To have a high level in your system and I, being at home alone, um, not around water, I mean, that's an extremely dangerous kind of situation. He says it's also proved to be a life-saving medication for people with severe mental health issues like bipolar disorder, PTSD, severe depression, and suicidal thinking. It's meant to be supervised and in a safe setting. Patients at his clinics undergo ketamine infusions under the supervision of specialists, monitoring heart rate, blood pressure, and breathing, and experience an altered state of consciousness, he says, gets at the root of their psychological conflicts. It causes 
causes your brain to become neuroplastic, which allows you to really reshape it and remold it by building certain pathways again. While Nazir does not support unsupervised home use of ketamine, especially near potentially deadly hazards like a hot tub, he doesn't want the public to get the wrong idea about the promise of the drug for people struggling with their mental health. Don't shy away from this treatment by reading a headline like that. It's not giving the full picture. Earlier this week, China's top-secret space plane, dubbed Shenlong, released six mysterious objects after reaching the Earth's orbit for the third time in three years. We can only hazard a guess as to what these objects, which are being tracked by the U.S. Space Force and designated names Object A through F by the U.S. Department of Defense, are and for what purpose. Amateur astronomer and satellite tracker Scott Tilley has been closely tracking the objects, examining the signals they've been emitting. And as he told the South China Morning Post, they appear to be sending the strongest signals while passing over North America. I'm seeing a pattern in its radio emissions while over me, and it appears to favour low elevation western passes, he told the paper. This could indicate a clandestine ground station on the west coast of North America or on a ship off the coast. According to the amateur astronomer, objects designated D and E give off radio signals with idle filler. Object B is very bright, as he told the SCMP, and could be the upper stage of the Long March 2F rocket that lifted the plane into orbit, according to an update by Switzerland-based Space Domain Awareness Group S2A Systems. Per Tilly, objects C and F could be pieced as of the jettisoned rocket debris as they are relatively dim and tumbling. It's the ter- third time China's secretive space plane has released objects in orbit over its three missions. During its first mission in 2020, it released one object during its two-day journey. During its second voyage last year, the US Space Force tracked another object that was released by spacecraft. We're still none the wiser, though, as to what China is trying to achieve during its latest space plane mission beyond testing reusable space plane technologies and carrying out science experiments per state-run news agency Xinhua. But considering China has pulled off three missions in just three years, it's a tech dynamo that's certainly worth following closely. And coming up after the break, like the murder of JFK, 9-11 and the origins of COVID, the story of Jeffrey Epstein will just not go away. We'll take a look at the development since a New York judge announced the release of 170 Epstein associate names on January 1st. This is Compass on TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. This was Simone Sanders back in 2016, November to be precise. In my opinion, we don't need white people leading the Democratic Party right now. This was her last week on her own MSNBC show. Uh, I don't know. I haven't heard a high crime or misdemeanor yet. I I completely understand. Are you going to let me answer the question, ma'am? I know you're a Democrat operative, but you work for a Democrat consultant oh, firm. All right, Congressman, let's do it then since we're here. We are out of time, but we're going to do it. I used to, I did used to um, advise, I did used to advise a number of individuals. I've also advised some corporations and companies, but here I'm just here to be an advocate for the viewer. And I will ask you one last time, what is the evidence that the committee has that Joe Biden, while he was president, committed a high crime misdemeanor? or treason. Well, you have to ask yourself, ma'am, why does a vice president or a president get $40,000 through a, a Chinese communist corporation that's all been- All right, well, obviously- with that, thank you all very much, Congressman. It's always a pleasure, but you just can't come on here and lie. Simone Sanders only survived her racist, we don't need white people remark back in 2016 because she's a radical leftist. And she eventually got her own show, and now she's able to tell a white male Republican congressman that he's a liar after she cuts his mic off. 
only in America. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT. It's been said that when someone you love has Parkinson's, you have Parkinson's. The truth is, Parkinson's disease doesn't just affect the diagnosed. It affects everyone who supports and helps care for them. Worldwide, over 10 million people are living with Parkinson's, a neurological disease that affects movement. And with so many places to search for information, it can be difficult to know where to begin. The Parkinson's Foundation has answers. Answers for everyone in the fight. We can help you understand the disease, help you find expert care, give you tips for living a better life, share the latest research, help you find local support, and there's a free helpline you can call. Find your answers and join us in the fight against Parkinson's. To learn more, please go to parkinson.org or call 1-800-4PD-INFO. The Parkinson's Foundation. Better lives together. This, this is Compass with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. Can you imagine a non-governmental private think tank with more than 35 different departments and over 2,800 board members and never having heard of it? Allow me to introduce you to the Lifeboat Foundation. The Lifeboat Foundation is developing a world-class think tank with a rich cognitive diversity of philosophers, economists, biologists, nanotechnologists, AI researchers, educators, policy experts, engineers, lawyers, ethicists, futurists, neuroscientists, physicists, space experts, and other top thinkers to encourage scientific advancements which helping humanity survive existential risks and possible misuse of increasingly powerful technologies, including genetic engineering, nanotechnology, robotics, as we move towards the singularity. Unlike most organisations whose advisory boards are too small to do more than provide some evidence, our think tank provides action as well as words. Look at all these people, 2,800 in fact, sitting on the boards, PhDs, MAs, etc. And how about this? On the advisory board when he was alive was Jeffrey Epstein, financier, science philanthropist. He is the chairman and CEO of the Financial Trust Company. Jeffrey, it says, is a former member of the Trilateral Commission, the Council on Foreign Relations, the New York Academy of Science, and a former Rockefeller University board member, actively involved in the Santa Fe Institute Theoretical Biology Initiative at the Institute for Advanced Study, the Quantum Gravity Program at the University of Pennsylvania, and once sat on the Mind, Brain, and Behaviour Advisory Committee at Harvard University. He's also a member of the EDGE Foundation. The mission statement of the Lifeboat Foundation is a non-profit, non-governmental organisation dedicated to encouraging scientific advancements while helping humanity survive existential risks and possible misuse of increasingly powerful technologies, including engineering, nanotechnology, robot AI, as we move towards a singularity. The Lifeboat Foundation is pursuing a variety of options, including helping to accelerate the development of technologies to defend humanity such as new methods to combat viruses, effective nanotechnology defensive strategies, and even self-sustaining space colonies in case the other defensive strategies fail. How about that? The only thing the Lifeboat Foundation did not mention was Epstein's penchant for underage women. Meanwhile, Rep Tim Burchett, who you just saw in that promo in the break, confirms that there are members of Congress who are currently being, being blackmailed to not release the information pertaining to Jeffrey Epstein. In this video, he explains this to Benny Johnson, along with another very revealing piece of information. 
So you're saying that right now, currently ongoing in our Congress, there are members of Congress who have been compromised by either special interests or the intelligence community to not give the American public information on Jeffrey Epstein. I believe so. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. I would tell you one one quick thing. I know this it's a little different, but I. I've been involved in the UFO UAP issue. And it's, you know, like I said, I don't going to bring out little green men and a flying saucer, but it's about transparency. I had an amendment on the FAA reauthorization bill that said if an American pilot sees a UAP, an anomaly or something, and they make a report to the FAA, that report has to be, has to be made available to Congress. I was told by the whip, I said, what happened to my amendment? And he said, it was killed by the intelligence community. And I said, you mean the intelligence committee? And he said, no, the intelligence community. It was not even brought up. And these are unelected bureaucrats that have that much control. And so yeah, we got to start electing people with guts in both parties. This pandering stuff that's going on now, it's just a distraction. The Epstein list of associates is due to be released on January the 1st, less than two weeks from now. This provides a small window for those who do not wish to be named to appeal to the New York judge. With more, we join this report from Newsmax. We're here outside the uh, federal courthouse here in lower Manhattan, and this is where Judge Loretta Preska has ordered that January 1st release date of more than 170 names associated with a civil lawsuit that was settled uh, some time ago here. Uh, but many of those names that will be released are Jeffrey Epstein's close friends, associates, and some of his victims. Now, the judge is also allowing those individuals uh, who would like to keep their names concealed or redacted uh, to file an appeal to make their case before the release of those names in less than two weeks. Now, many of those names that will come out certainly are known and notable, including uh, former presidents, but they are all part of a now settled civil lawsuit against Ghislaine Maxwell brought by Virginia Giuffre. Now, Giuffre accused Maxwell of helping Epstein abuse her by arranging travel plans along with setting up meeting times and places around the world to facilitate her sexual abuse. Maxwell is now serving 20 years in a federal prison after she was convicted in 2021 for her role in a scheme to sexually exploit and abuse multiple teenage girls with Epstein over a 10-year period. Now, Epstein died by suicide in a Manhattan federal jail in 2019 while awaiting trial on sex trafficking charges. The judge also noting in her order that some of the names that will be released have already been revealed because some of those individuals have spoken publicly about their relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. Meanwhile, at least 11 names will not be released, including eight people who have been identified as minor victims of sexual abuse. Last night on Banfield, criminal defense attorney and former prosecutor Josh Schiffer talked about why some people are desperately fighting to have their names redacted. So there's a lot of reasons someone wouldn't want their name associated with someone whose name is literally everything bad in high society and regular society for that matter. Um, so if you were someone of particular current relevant importance, think someone big in finance, think someone big in politics. Jeffrey Epstein knew everyone. When you said earlier he, he palled around with royalty, so how will the media and public react when these names are released to the general public? And will it involve some of those names to take drastic action? If we backtrack to early 2022, when it was reported that disgraced modelling agent, 
And Jeffrey Epstein associate Jean-Luc Brunel died by suicide in his prison cell on a Saturday night in Paris, ABC News reported at the time. The Paris Prosecutor's Office confirmed to the news agency that Brunel was found dead in his prison cell around 1am local time. Brunel's lawyers told the ABC News channel Brunel hanged himself. The prosecutor's office declined to confirm those details of death. In December of 2020, Brunel was charged with the rape of minors over the age of 15 and sexual harassment, a crime in France. In a statement on their client's death, which was in France and sent to and translated by ABC, Brunel's lawyers said that a 75-year-old man who was destroyed by the judicial media lynching, and we should question it, our client firmly asserted he never abused any women. He made multiple efforts to prove it. His decision was not led by a feeling of guilt, but by a deep feeling of injustice. Brunel's attorneys, Matthias Chich Portich, Marianne Abregal, and Christoph Ingrain added. Now, Virginia Jaffrey, in the same court filing in 2014, in which she first accused Prince Andrew of sexually assaulting her, claimed to have been trafficked by Epstein and his girlfriend, Ghislaine Maxwell, to Jean-Luc Brunel. The suicide of Jean-Luc Brunel, who abused me and countless girls and young women, ends another chapter. I'm disappointed that I was not able to face him in a final trial and hold him accountable for his actions, but gratified that I was able to face him in person last year in Paris to keep him in prison there, Joffrey said in a statement issued through her lawyer, Sigrid McCauley. Meanwhile, Virginia Joffrey, speaking to Australian 60 Minutes, explained that Epstein's girlfriend and business partner, Ghislaine's Maxwell, was pure evil. There were so many women in Epstein's orbit that participated, procured, and benefited from Epstein's sickness. Jeffrey was dirty. He was sick. He was a pedophile. He's gone. Gillen, she is the wicked one. And these women with her, they deserve the same punishment. They deserve to be taken down as well. So just the beginning. Just the beginning. Yeah. In May of this year, Peter Flaherty was arrested at a Berkshire Hathaway shareholders meeting. The trespass passing charge has since been dropped, but Flaherty argued that he should never have been arrested, nor should he have been handcuffed, fingerprinted, brought to jail and detained for three hours. Berkshire Hathaway's silencing of me, he said, is an ominous precedent for the rights of shareholders to public companies. It cannot be allowed to stand. I didn't just wander into the Berkshire shareholders meeting, nor did the incident occur during a question and answer session. I was a scheduled speaker whose name appeared on the agenda to speak in support of Proposal 8 for an independent chair. The proposal appeared in the proxy and for weeks shareholders had been voting on it. It was the subject of a detailed proxy memo we filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission earlier in April. He said, as far as I know, the arrest of a shareholder during a proposal presentation has never before occurred at an annual meeting of a public company in the United States. With additional revelations about Bill Gates and Jeffrey Epstein since the meeting confirming the importance of the issue that he sought to raise, namely the reputational risk to Berkshire Hathaway by having one individual hold both the chairman and CEO positions, especially if that person is so closely identified with particular causes and personalities. He said the whole point of the shareholder proposals process is to allow shareholders critical of management and avenue to change corporate policy. It seems no one now wants to be associated with Jeffrey Epstein, yet so many war. The release on January 1 promises to be explosive. And meanwhile, Rep Tim Burchett can explain that in his view, congressmen, men and women are compromised, that is blackmailed or bribed, then how else does that affect their behaviour? 
Is this why we see so much backtrapping and flip-flopping when it comes to one rule for thee and another for me? Last week, we learned that Hunter Biden would defy a congressional subpoena to be interviewed about his family's business dealings connected to his father. He defied it and, of course, was supported by the Democratic establishment, who obfuscated, as usual, the truth of his giving testimony in that capacity, arguing that his testimony may be twisted. Let's now look back at how Democrats snookered themselves with this non-argument. Do you think people who refuse to comply with congressional subpoenas should be prosecuted by the Justice Department and at the end of the day go to jail? Yes. If you act deliberately with sneering, cavalier contempt for the American people and their representatives, we will hold you in contempt. In America, when you are subpoenaed to testify in court or in Congress, you show up. Period. That if we fail to hold C. Bannon accountable, that he will be the exception. He will become the rule. Either we are all equal before the law or none of us is. This is the essence of our democracy. Either we're all in this together, either the rule of law applies to everyone equally, um, or we lose out on a, a fundamental aspect of our democracy that the rule of law applies to everyone and no one is above that law. Mr. Bannon stands alone in his complete defiance of our subpoena. That's not acceptable. No one in this country, no matter how wealthy or how powerful, is above the law. And if he refuses uh, the subpoena, like we expect him to continue to do, uh, then we're left with no other choice than to ask the Justice Department, lock him up. The plain fact here is that Mr. Bannon has no legal right to ignore the committee's lawful subpoena. If Steve Bannon is just going to flout his nose at a congressional subpoena and say that it doesn't apply to me, then he needs to be charged and he needs to be put in jail. Mr. Bannon's willful disregard for the select committee's subpoena demonstrates his utter contempt for the American people's vision that defies the rule of law and rejects the will of the American people. We're serious about this. And anybody that is either being subpoenaed now or will be in the future, uh, think twice before you reject a lawful order from Congress. When you get a subpoena, the law requires you to comply. No one, no one, no one is above the law. I sent people out to pick people up that ignored my subpoenas. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's how it's done. Child the sheriff? <laughs> yes. That's right. Would drive up to the house? <laughs> yes. And snatch your behind? <laughs> yes. And put you in the jail yeah. while everybody figured stuff out. Maybe yeah. that's what needs to happen. It does matter if the new normal is that if you're a Trump ally, you don't have to respond to subpoenas. It matters whether or not he feels safe defying the law here. Steve Bannon, who defied the committee with his sort of characteristic two-shirted uh, defiance, uh, told you guys to go take a long walk off a short pier. Um, what's the lesson here? The lesson is, uh, please tell your children out there in America, if you get a subpoena to go before Congress or you get a subpoena to go to the court, go. What's your message to people who defy congressional subpoenas on the January 6th committee? I hope that the committee goes after them and uh, holds them accountable. Should they similar. be prosecuted by the I, I do. An AI chatbot deployed by a car dealership went off the rails after mischievous users discovered a cheeky exploit. In some cases, tricking the bot into offering them the deal of a lifetime. How about a brand new car for chump change? 
It's an amusing but cautionary tale on relying on artificial intelligence for front of house interactions. The dealership Chevy of Watsonville in California used the chatbot to handle customer online inquiries, a purpose it was expressly tailored for. Chris White, a software engineer and musician, was one such customer. Being a programmer, he asked the chatbot to write a Python script. Rather than steering the conversation towards selling him a 20-year car loan, the AI car salesman went ahead and actually wrote a real chunk of code. In the most viral example, one user tricked the chatbot into accepting their offer of just $1 for a brand new 2024 Chevy Tahoe. That's a deal, and that's a legally binding offer. No takesies, backsies, the AI assured. Despite the bot's sincere promises, the offer was not, in fact, legally blinding. Binding, presumably, no Chevy dealers were harmed as a result of this viral prank. Full Path advisedly has since shut down the bot. Humans won, AI nil. And that is the last of Compass before Christmas. I'd like to wish everyone a very Merry Christmas. I will be back though on on to deck tomorrow for the four hour afternoons weekends with Jason Oldborn here on TNT Radio. But up next is Chris Smith. Thanks for watching and being with us here at TNT Radio.